Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash ProductiveConvo. That's two free weeks at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Again, onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepasswordcom slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter uplift desk a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work and that's just the beginning of what uplift desk has to offer with an emphasis on ergonomics and customization uplift desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals whether you're coding designing or podcasting like i am right now the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's up 
liftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. They all tap into that principle that there are networks, there are resources in those networks. How do you get them mobilized and get them to start moving? And it all comes down to the ask. Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy. And this week on the show, I am joined by Dr. Wayne Baker. He is the author of the new book, All You Need to Do is Ask. And we talk about asking throughout this whole episode. I ask him a lot of questions. It's what I do when I interview on a podcast. So there you go. We talk about the idea of smart goals and how he kind of really redefines what smart means for him. We talk about different frameworks that he puts in place to help cultures cultivate a, uh, a culture of asking. I mean, and we also talk about some of the myths that we have when it comes to asking and why maybe we shouldn't be so afraid to ask. There's a lot of stuff we cover in this episode. I just want to get right to it. So here's my conversation with Dr. Wayne Baker here on the Productivityist podcast. I'd like to welcome Dr. Wayne Baker to the Productivityist podcast. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. So uh, we've, we, I want to talk to you about uh, the idea of asking because we often <laughs> one of the, I've read Amanda Palmer's book, you know, about ask, you know, the, the, the having the permission to or feeling the permission to ask. And one of the things that I find when it comes to productivity is that we tend to move forward and push forward with things that we uh, feel that we need to do, but we don't really ask a lot of questions around it. We just kind of say, okay, well, this is what I need to do and how am I going to do it? But I want to talk about your, your, your book. All you have to do is ask. And, and how, how important is the, the idea of understanding that asking, just asking, you know, understanding that the questions are important. Um, how, how do we get people to kind of understand that and say, you know what, I need to take time to, to just figure out a, if I should ask something and be, be okay with asking. Well, when I think of asking, it's it's more than asking questions, although that certainly would be a part of it. Sure. Um, it's asking or requesting uh, the resources that you need uh, to get your job done. It could be information, ideas, opportunities, um, even emotional support or, or political support. And the research is very clear that uh, we need input from other people. We need the inflow of resources if we are concerned with productivity and performance. Uh, sometimes people kind of take a lone wolf mentality, mm -hmm. that kind of approach where they really focus on trying to do the job themselves and putting their head down. And, you know, self-reliance is a virtue. It's really it's a good thing. It's a, a productive virtue, but you can take it too far. And what we found is that uh, you could do more faster and more effectively if you reach out and tap your network to get uh, resources from other people. How important is it for a company to a, a kind of cultivate this feeling of being able to ask for help because I think that you're right this idea of self-reliance and especially you know you're given a task you go out on your own you go do it but you're like I, I could use some help with this um, how how important is it for a company culture to create this environment that people uh, and, and their employees and colleagues feel like it's okay to ask for help 
Well, every leader wants to have a workplace culture of generosity where people will help one another. They'll be good organizational citizens. Um, but what we found is that the key to a workplace culture of generosity is a workplace culture of asking, of making requests. Um, you know, when I started working in this area over uh, 20 years ago, we developed some um, group activities that enabled people to give and get help from one another. And back then, I always introduced the activity in the same way, talking about the virtues of generosity uh, and how you should be helpful. But what I found is that that was rarely the problem. People were quite willing to help one another. People really struggled with asking. Uh, and it turned out that the request or the ask is the driver of the whole giving-receiving process. And so I switched and really emphasized uh, the need to ask to uh, to make a smart request, uh, a thoughtful request, um, to not keep pounding your head against the wall, trying to solve a problem when reaching out could solve the problem more efficiently and effectively. And asking for help just doesn't start with, you know, and, and end rather with the idea of I need help with this particular task. Like we're, we're talking goals here too, like and being strategic about it. So when when someone is thinking beyond the task at hand, they're thinking larger, they're thinking goals, they're thinking ambitions. What 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 do you recommend? And I know you get into this in the book, but how can people strategically kind of ask in a way that 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 helps them achieve their goals? Yeah, so a, a strategic request is one that's connected to an outcome that you desire, that is connected to a goal. It could be a long-term goal or, or a short-term goal. Uh, I talk about three different methods in the book for determining your goals and then figuring out the requests uh, that you need for resources to help achieve those goals. Uh, one of them is visioning. Uh, it's developing a detailed description, a narrative of what success looks like for you at some point in the future. It could be three years out, five years out. Uh, but if you have that destination and you've described it in rich, vivid detail, um, then you get a really clear sense of, okay, if that's the life I want to have three years from now, five years from now, well, what do I need to do now? Um, what requests do I need to make from other people to achieve shorter-term goals and objectives that are going to move me in the direction of that life that I want? What, when it comes to having a clear goal, uh, you you talk about the SMART criteria, right? And And... Uh, we've heard of smart goals before. That's not that's not necessarily new, but this is different. So, uh, you know, for those who are familiar with smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, all that, all that stuff, action oriented. Um, there are some there are some commonalities, but can you dig into this a little bit more for people who are saying, hey, you know what, I've got this clear goal. Now, how how can I make this well formulated request? Yes, my definition of smart is a bit different from the traditional or the conventional definition of it. Sure. Um, so the S is for specific, um, and that's no different from the usual way of thinking about a of a smart goal. But the M is where the where the difference starts. So the M traditionally means measurable, and measurability is nice. Uh, but what I mean is meaningful. Um, I found that it's the description of why you're making the request, why it's meaningful, why it's important. That's what people connect to, and that's what really motivate people to respond. Uh, the A is for action. You're asked for something to be done. So a goal is a destination. It's not an action. Uh, a request is an act, is a request to get something that you need in order to achieve that goal. Uh, my R is a little bit different as well. By R, I mean realistic. Now, it can be a stretch. Um, we've uh, had plenty of examples of astounding things that have happened when people are willing to give themselves permission to ask, and they ask a you know a good network of people. Um, but 
it has to be strategically sound. That's what I mean by realistic. And then the T is time. It has to be time bound. It's not a well-formulated request, a powerful request, unless people know when you need it by. And a, we found that a vague date is not very motivating for people. If I, so if I say sometime next year, that doesn't motivate people. If I say, you know, I need it by the end of December and here's why it's meaningful and important, um, people are much more likely to respond. So you, you've got this criteria here. What if I can hear somebody already as they're listening to this going, okay, what if I don't, what if I, like, I, I don't always have the time to, to, to sit down and do this. Is there a, a way that someone can sit and say, okay, you know what, like it doesn't have to be an overly complicated thing because we live in this world that's really, really moving very quickly. And a lot of the requests that come our way and things that we need to do need to happen faster and turn around quicker than, than what we perceive ever before. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily true, but it certainly feels that way. Um, when someone says, oh, I have to, I, you, you hear the groans like, oh, I have to assess this. So like, why can't I just ask for help? What, not only, I don't want to necessarily focus on why it's important, but how can people get into this habit so that it doesn't seem as onerous to say, okay, let me see if this criteria is in fact smart. Well, I can give an example of from a um, an economics consulting firm that I know, a very successful one, where the principals tell new hires who are economists, they'll say, I don't want you working on a problem more than 20 minutes um, without asking somebody for input or for help. Um, don't keep pounding yourself against the wall. Reach out. There's a whole crowd of people who are very smart here who can help you. Um, and so it, it could be something that as long as you start thinking about this, okay, well, Instead of trying it all to solve it all myself, maybe I can reach out to someone. That itself can prime you uh, to be on the lookout for those opportunities to do that. Um, I had mentioned visioning. Uh, mm -hmm. It's one of one of three methods that I talk about. But the first one is called quick start. And it's certainly helpful for people who say, okay, I got to get something right away. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time developing a, 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 you know, a long-winded vision about my future. I'll do that at some other point. So it could be uh, what I call, I have some sentence starters. So um, I'm currently working on X and I could benefit from getting Y. And as I fill in the X and fill in the Y, or it could be that uh, a current challenge of mine at work is X and I need Y. Um, or it could be the something like, uh, you know, my greatest hope is to, and then so forth. So just completing those sentences, I found really prime people into what they need because they're thinking about what's a current project, a current challenge, something that I'm working on and what might I, what might I benefit from? You know, what kind of resource would help me here? Maybe it's someone who's willing to uh, just sit down and give me some advice or a sympathetic ear, or, you know, I really need a report. I need data. I need information. Let me reach out and ask for that. What about the person who is, is, uh, struggles with this that say, you know what, I, if I ask for help, it means I'm incompetent or it means that I, I, I'm not up to the task. I can't do it. I've got, I've, I, I don't have the, uh, the, what it takes to do the work. And I feel like I'm letting people down. How do you break past that bias? Well, it's uh, a combination of education and action. Uh, so one of the early chapters in the book talks about the typical reasons why it's hard to ask. And it's just part of, it's just part of our culture. It's even maybe even part of the human nature is sometimes hard to ask. And so what I found is that if you look at the research, uh, that really shows that some of our assumptions about asking are actually incorrect. So you mentioned competence or incompetence. Um, you know, sometimes people say, you know, I don't want to ask because uh, people will think I'm weak or I'm ignorant. I can't do my job or whatever. Uh, but there's some research that's come out on that question uh, by a team at Wharton and Harvard, 
And they found it's just the opposite. As long as you make a thoughtful, intelligent request, if you do, people will think you are more competent, not less. So just having that knowledge can really liberate people. Um, another common barrier is that people feel that, well, uh, this is too hard. No one could help me. Why bother asking? People are either unable or unwilling to help. And there, too, the research um, can be very helpful because that's been studied uh, in a number of uh, different research projects. And what we have found is that it's just the opposite, is that, uh, you know, we way underestimate other people's willingness and ability to help. So you should start with the assumption that, you know, most people are willing to help. And maybe they could help in ways that I can't even guess yet. For example, everyone has really great networks. So if somebody asks me something, I might say, well, you know, I don't have the answer. Or I don't have that resource. But I've got a good network, and I know exactly who I could connect you to to solve that particular problem. So um, sometimes this being having you know knowledge of what the research really says, I think it'd be helpful, can be liberating. And then the action part is to experiment, to try. I encourage people to uh, perhaps make a small request in a safe place. Sometimes that's at home or with friends or in your community. Uh, but you start to see the benefits of it. So giving yourself permission to ask, uh, realizing that making thoughtful requests uh, leads to a, a perception of more competence, not less. And then, um, you know, trying it out, learning from it. And then eventually people say, you know, I, I, I could make bigger and bigger requests because I see how the process works. And, and what I, what, as we're going through this, you know, we, off the top, I said, you know, like asking asking questions, like just asking yourself of questions. Um, this can be applied internally as well, right? It doesn't just have to be applied when you're asking other people for help. Like it, it, you can use this to help assess how you're approaching things internally too, right? Oh, I think so. I think that, um, you know, if you're, if you're working on a, on a hard problem and stuff, you could start, you can, uh, yeah, have a conversation with yourself about, well, what do I need? And maybe what you need is just you need to go Google something mm -hmm. or or you need to look something up. That's I, I Google stuff all the time. Uh, but there's a there's a, a realm or a world of knowledge and resources out there that you can't find through Google uh, that a Yelp a review won't help you with uh, and so forth. And that you really need to, um, you know, you need to ask other people. Now, sometimes it could be a person directly or you could even post a request to um to a group or use LinkedIn, all the technology is there to be helpful as well. Ever caught yourself marveling at the seamless magic of everyday tech, like how noise-canceling headphones block out the world or the sheer bliss of meeting-free Fridays? Now imagine if there was a way to bring that kind of magic into selling online. Well, guess what? There is, and it's called Shopify. From the moment you decide to launch your online shop to opening your first physical store and even when you're pinching yourself because yes, you just hit a million orders, Shopify is there to guide your growth. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or the latest productivity tools, Shopify supports you everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. The checkout, oh, it's a breeze for your customers, converting up to 36% better than other platforms. And with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant, you're selling more with way less effort. And you won't be alone in your Shopify journey because Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., supporting giants like Allbirds and Brooklinen and millions of entrepreneurs across 175 countries. Their award-winning support is always there, making sure businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
and yours can be one of those businesses. And for those looking to level up, Shopify's endless integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to chatbots ensure your business is always ahead of the curve. So what are you waiting for? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash timecrafting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash timecrafting. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the conversation now, but when I come back, I'm going to ask Dr. Baker, what exactly is the law of giving and receiving? And what are some of the techniques that a leader can put in place to kind of create the habit of asking, even what you can do, and then also what a leader ultimately needs to do to make sure that that habit sticks throughout his organization or her organization. Listen, if you're a smart business owner, then you got into your line of work like I did because of your passion for the work itself. But the tedious admin work, if that's what's keeping you from doing the part of the job that you actually love, well, HoneyBook can take those tasks off your to-do list so you can focus on why you started your business in the first place. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. It's perfect for freelancers, entrepreneurs, or small business owners that want to consolidate services they already use like QuickBooks, Google Suite, Excel, and MailChimp. And with HoneyBook, you can automate your busy work. They have easy to use templates for emails, proposals, brochures, and invoices. And they also have e-signatures and built-in automation, which is huge because that'll save you time and get you paid faster. So really, with HoneyBook, you can simplify your to-do list and stay in control. And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you try HoneyBook.com. So visit tryhoneybook.com. And right now, HoneyBook is offering listeners of the Productivities Podcast 50% off when you visit tryhoneybook.com slash timecrafting. Payment's flexible, and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So... Go to tryhoneybook.com slash timecrafting for 50% off your first year now. That's tryhoneybook.com slash timecrafting. Give HoneyBook a try today. If you're just getting started following my work, you may not be familiar with timecrafting, which is the productivity methodology and philosophy that I teach. Well, there's a real easy way to get on the ground floor and get the basics and the fundamentals of timecrafting through my 30 days of timecrafting course. It's only $5 and you can pick it up at productivityist.com slash $5. It's 30 days of emails as well as course materials that you'll be able to access for the duration of the life 
of this program, which means it's not going away. You can have access even after the 30 days. I'm seeing great success stories in this program. And really, it's five bucks, five dollars guaranteed. That's all you're going to pay for this. So head over to productivityist.com slash five dollars and take 30 days of time crafting. You can start anytime. You can kind of gather up the emails and do the 30 days when you want. But for five bucks, you can't go wrong. You're worth five dollars. Your time, your attention, your intentions, they're worth five dollars, aren't they? It's less than a cup of coffee in some cases. Well, at least a gourmet cup of coffee. But nonetheless, I think it's really valuable. I'd love for you to check it out. 30 days of time crafting. Go to productivityist.com slash five dollars and check it out today. I want to talk to you about something that I'm putting on at the end of February with the extra day that we get that will help you forge new relationships and connect with people in a whole new way. If you can get up to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on Saturday, February 29th, I'd love to see you at the Big Ready. This is my first big live event that I'm hosting and I'm really excited. I've got some great guests, including guests that have appeared on this podcast, such as Mark and Angel Chernoff, New York Times bestselling authors that are making their first public speaking appearance in Canada. I've got a slew of other guests lined up as well, and a lot of other delights as well, including kind of this, this midnight momentum session that we're putting together. And there's also a VIP package that will allow you to work with me for three hours or so on the next day to kind of take what's left of the months ahead in 2020 and propel them forward like you couldn't possibly imagine. You're going to be able to take what you learn on the 29th and then level up the rest of your year with the workshop that you can do with me for the VIP ticket. We're calling it the Big Ready VIP or the Big Big Ticket. I'm really excited to put this thing together. You can learn more about the Big Ready and get your tickets right now. Early bird tickets are on sale until February 3rd. That basically once Groundhog Day is done, they go up in price. And there's a limited number of those tickets as well as a limited number of VIP tickets. So again, thebigready.com will give you all the details. You can pick up your tickets there. I'd love to see you in Vancouver, BC on Saturday, February 29th, the extra day, the bonus day that we get in 2020. So you can join me and some great featured guests for the Big Ready. And now let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Wayne Baker here on the Productivity Podcast. All right, I want to shift gears now and talk about you've got the the law of giving and receiving. You know the the the, the four styles of giving and asking. And you go into this into the book, but for those who are you know, I mean, people like structure. People who you know, I, I know if you're listening to the show, you like the idea of having a system and a framework in place. And this is a good example of a framework. So can you dig into that a little bit so that people because I think this this supports this further supports what we're discussing. Yes, the law of giving and receiving says that. Uh, it's our responsibility to help others and to ask for what we need, um, that we need to do both. You know, we're, we're taught growing up that it's better to give than receive. I think it's best to give and receive. And so you want to think about giving and helping, but also asking and receiving. So in the book, I talk about four types. Um, and we actually have an assessment in the book. Um, that will enable people to see where they are on the giving and the asking dimension. Uh, and if, if you anyone in the audience goes to our website, uh, which is all you have to do is ask.com, that assessment is there free. Um, and it will also show you how you compare to a, a big population that's been involved in, in some of our studies. So here are the four types. The best place to be is what I call a giver requester, someone who is generous, who helps others, 
who don't think about how it's going to come back to them, and they freely ask for help when they need it. So they do both, and they're active on both giving and asking. Another type is the overly generous giver, uh, and it's kind of a trap because uh, the overly generous giver has a really positive reputation for their generosity, but they're not as productive because they're not getting the inflow of resources that they need to be productive, to perform consistently at a high level. Another type would be the taker or the selfish taker, the person who is always asking and uh, never giving back, never helping other people. Uh, I have a friend of mine who used to work at IBM Consulting, and he said, oh, we called them sponges. They just kind of sucked in everything, and they never gave anything back. And what we find over time is that those people, people stop helping them over time, so their productivity goes down because they kind of see that they're never giving back, they're never paying it forward. And then the fourth type is the lone wolf. It's the person who takes self-reliance to the extreme, who thinks it's all about just focusing on that task and solving it all yourself. Now, you know, sometimes you don't want to, you don't want help. If you're doing the New York Times crossword puzzle, you probably don't want help on that. It takes kind of the joy and the fun out of it. But for most things that we're working on, we really do need input from others. We need resources um, uh, to get our work done. So of those four types, the one to focus on is the giver requester. And we can also think about that as a team should be that way as well, that uh, the team culture should be one in which people freely help one another and they make requests both inside and outside of the team. And as a leader of an organization, that's the kind of culture and practice you want to instill as well. So when when you're running a team and you're just talking but touched on that as, as you wrap that part up. And by the way, I think that <laughs> the, the, the interesting thing is, is that there's the um, – I wonder, oddly enough, the 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 lack of productivity that that co- that comes along with some of this is 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 challenging for 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 organizations, not just for the individual, for organizations. So, um, what are some of the techniques that leaders and 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 executives and business owners can can kind of put in place and maybe even reinforce that can kind of help you know you know kind of make sure that this habit of asking. Is, is, is going across the entire organization because, you know, there's lots of moving parts, right? Absolutely. So we, if we take it uh, with the level of teams, there are many tools for teams that I write about uh, in the book. But I always begin by saying the leader needs to be a role model of the behavior that they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the leader of the team or the whole organization wants everyone else uh, to be generous and to ask for what they need but won't do won't do the same themselves, um, then the whole thing falls flat. So the leader really needs to be a role model, maybe the first to ask, to admit that they don't have all the answers, uh, that they have requests to make of other people as well. So that's that's one way to start. And then there's a bunch of uh, team level or group, le- group level activities and practices that can work. And I could tell you a couple of them. Sure. Um, one is the concept of a huddle, and there are two kinds. There's a impromptu or informal huddle and a more formal one. So the impromptu huddle would be uh, when somebody on a team is working on something, they, they get stuck, uh, they call together quickly a number of the other team members who drop what they're doing and give the person 15 minutes uh, to brainstorm, to talk through an idea and so forth. Um, IDEO, for example, the design firm has uses huddles to, uh, like this uh, frequently and all the time. And, um, you know, the people who drop their work for 15 minutes are very happy to do it because they know at some point in the future they're going to they're gonna need help and they're going to ask everyone else to do the same for them. 
Now take that same idea, and if you make it a regular, say, weekly practice, then you have a formal huddle. And I've seen companies do it, say, 10 o'clock in the morning every Tuesday. Um, you know, our team's going to meet for a half an hour, and it's going to be a quick round robin of, uh, you know, what do you need? What are you working on? And we'll, we'll, we'll make it routine, the behavior of asking and, and giving to one another. Um, other examples would be the, uh, the daily stand-up that is very commonly used in IT and software firms, but I think has enormous potential to be used in any group or team setting. Um, and it's it's formalized, uh, and that's one one reason why it's so effective. So you might have a group of programmers, or for any other team, standing in a circle. Um, you have a short period of time, and you go around and you answer three questions: um, What did I work on yesterday? What did I work on today? And what do I need help on? And it's that third one that's really the critical one. And if everyone knows that they're expected to ask for something, then becomes normal. It becomes routine. Uh, psychologically, everyone's in the same boat, so it's a safer thing to do. And a practice like that um, doesn't take long, and it's a, it's amazing how it starts to bring out all the resources. And actually, people uh, become more efficient, more productive uh, when they're, uh, you know, engaging these activities and giving and getting help from one another. All right, I want to talk about the reciprocity ring. Because I, I think that that's something that um, that is is it, anytime you can attach something like a title or something that it, it, it create it builds some kind of um, it builds I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it builds it does build team team elements but it creates uh, it, it, it gets imbued in the culture right so can we touch on that a little bit further uh, yeah sure the uh, the reciprocity ring is a um, a team or group level activity. Uh, that Cheryl Baker and I developed, oh, almost 20 years ago. And uh, the oranges were kind of interesting. Um, Cheryl is my wife, and she's an organizational development consultant. Um, and uh, one day she said, okay, you teach your students how to analyze their social networks, because that's that's what I was taught to do. Um, and she says, well, what do you do in terms of telling them what to do, how to use their network, how do you build your network? And I said, well, I have some stories, some anecdotes, and I hope the bell's going to ring because I'll, and I'll run out of time because I don't have a lot. And we got it, we got going in our conversation. I said, and when you, if you think about social capital, which is the networks and the resources that are in it, as two things. It's the networks themselves, but it's this concept of reciprocity, especially generalized reciprocity. Um, so I can think of direct reciprocity to Mike because I help you and you help me. That's great. That's mm -hmm. fine. We want that to happen. But if you help me and I feel really grateful and I pay it forward and I help a third party, that's that more indirect or generalized form of reciprocity. And that's the powerful form itself. And so, so she said, well, what's an example of generalized reciprocity? And I gave some examples that I learned long ago in a course I took on economic anthropology of all things in these non-market systems and <laughs> it's kind of a, a exotic kind of example that I gave. Um, but that was the beginning of the idea. We went back and forth, um, came up with a, uh, you know, a prototype of the reciprocity ring, uh, and then we refined it over time. And at this point, uh, well over 100,000 people around the world have done it. Um, it's done in, it's been done, I think, 12 different languages uh, on every inhabited continent. It's, so it's, it works in any culture. Um, and again, that was that activity that I referred to at the beginning of our conversation where when we started doing the reciprocity ring, I thought that getting people to help was going to be the problem. Turned out not to be the case. 
it was getting people to ask for what they need. And that was the beginning of what became now, 20 years later, this book, because over time I said, look, if most people are willing to help, most people are not asking, therefore nothing's happening. Mm. What, are, what are ways of solving that problem for an individual, for a team, for a whole organization? And I started collecting examples, of particularly tools and practices. It's very much a, a how-to kind of book. And the reciprocity ring is one. Uh, it's very powerful, but there are many others as well. And um, But they all tap into that principle that there are networks, there are resources in those networks. How do you get them mobilized and get them to start moving? And it all comes down to the ask. So one of the things that I think people love is the idea of being, when they're trying to adopt new behavior, is the idea of what's in it for me. And I mean, ultimately, the new behavior is really what's in it for them. But the idea of, I'll give you an example in my in my space. So the idea of uh, an app like Todoist, for example, which is a productivity to-do list app. M- many people listening to this will probably know what that is, but they have what's called Todoist Karma, right? So as you complete tasks, you get karma points, which means that you're going to feel like you're more productive, so on and so forth. Uh, and therefore, it, it it breeds more, breeds a culture of, hey, I want to do more because by doing more, I get more karma points, which makes me feel more productive, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this doesn't just go for individuals. Organizations love it as, as well. So what kind of rewards uh, can, can, can people and leaders and, and organizations put in place? Uh, because I think that that could be a nice little a, a nice little carrot to dangle to get people to feel because you know through all this we've talked about all these great ways and, and important reasons that you should ask, but sometimes it's it takes a reward and, and are there are, do you have ideas of rewards that that organizations and leaders can put in place to kind of help you know promote this kind of behavior? Yeah, there's a there's a number number of things that uh, that one could do, and we could think about both uh, instrumental rewards and emotional rewards. Sure, let's go. So, let's uh, go down both of those 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 uh, those ways. Okay, great. That yeah, I think the so the, on the instrumental side, it would be people would find if they engage in these practices that work becomes less stressful, that they're able to get projects done more easily and more effectively. And they find that they come up with more creative solutions. And so when we think about, you know, what are the hard benefits that you want having to do with productivity and performance, the research is very clear that engaging in this process of giving, asking, receiving really improves your performance and makes you more productive. So that's the instrumental return. The emotional one has to be with the positive emotions that are generated on both sides of the giving, receiving equation. So, you know, Mike, you help me. I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. for that help. And I want to not only help you uh, again, but I want to pay it forward and help someone else. So it's the, it's the, the positive emotion there is gratitude. That's rewarding. Uh, and then when you help someone, the positive emotion that's generated there is kind of the warm glow of giving. And so there are positive emotions created on both sides of so both giving and receiving. And then you just be, you get a lot more effective in your, in your job um, by engaging in this process. All right, as we get close to wrapping up, uh, I want to know, people are going to leave here today and they want something that's actionable. They can take away and they can say, I can start now because you're coming out of this discussion, uh, other than pick up your book, obviously, which we're going to link to in the show notes. But uh, is there any kind of things that they can do starting right now? They're going to, they're going to, they're going to end this episode. Uh, They, they are ready to start. Where can they begin so that they can see immediate benefits from, from applying what you've talked about today? But what I would recommend is to say, okay, as soon as you're done listening to the podcast, you'd say, 
okay, let me sit for one minute and say, what am I working on right now? What am I stuck on? Uh, what's my challenge at work right now? What's a project I just got assigned to me? Jot down a few words about that and then say, okay, well, what would be helpful? Um, what would help here? Do I need some, do I need information? Do I need data? Uh, do I need some advice? Uh, do I just need to learn how to start? Um, do I need a connection to someone, whatever it might be? And to start it that very simple way, saying, you know, what, what's in front of me right now that I've got to accomplish and okay, well, what, what could I use? What kind of resource would be helpful in accomplishing that particular task? And I think that's a, that would happen very quickly, and it could be to be the beginning of a of a habit of uh, asking for, receiving, and then giving the things that we need. Dr. Wayne Baker, this has been great today to have you on the show. Uh, where can people pick up your book, and where else can people keep up with your work? You can pick it up at uh, most uh, retailers, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and many others. Um, and um, you can read about it at our website, and the free assessment is there as well. That all you have to do is ask.com. And there you'll also find more about me if you're interested. Um, we have a mailing, mailing list, and uh, there are other resources available there as well. Thanks for joining me today on the Productivity Podcast. Well, thank you, Mike. I've enjoyed our conversation very much. And there you have it. Thanks to Dr. Baker for joining me on the program today. You can find all of the resources, the show notes, talking points, everything at productivityist.com slash podcast 280. That's right. We are at the 280th episode of the Productivityist podcast. And for those of you that are listening, that have been subscribing for, I don't know, since day one, Thank you so much. And if you only recently subscribed, thank you as well. If you're not a subscriber yet, I'd love to have you on board. Just hit the subscribe button, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you are listening to podcasts. That way you don't miss a single episode. And then you can easily check out the archives that I've accumulated over the many years of putting this show together. Now, the other thing you can do if you want to help out the podcast beyond subscribing to it is give me a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this program right now. I look at all the ratings and reviews and the comments and all that stuff on a regular basis because I want to make this show better. So if you want to give me that feedback, it's the easiest way to do so. Again, ratings and reviews are super helpful and I'd love it if you would give me a rating and review and again, subscribe to the podcast today. Now, there are other podcasts out there that are productivity related, and I listen to a ton of them. And my Productivity is Podcast Pick of the Week is Productivity Paradox, who is hosted by Tanya Dalton, who has been on this program before. Now, we only have 168 hours in a week, so why is it that we feel like we don't have the time to focus on the things that matter most? It's really not you, but it's the systems that are failing, and I'm a big systems person. Well, Productivity Paradox is a weekly podcast specifically designed to give you actionable strategies and exercises that's super huge to help you create a life centered around your own personal priorities tanya is great you should listen to the episode that we have in the archives if you're a subscriber you can easily go back and check that out but she's got a lot of great episodes here and what i love is that they're short they're not long they're they're actually shorter than these podcast episodes in most cases but I highly, highly encourage you to, to follow the lead of what Tanya's doing here. She's an expert in the space, and she knows her stuff. So check out Productivity Paradox. It's my Productivityist podcast pick of the week. 
And that's it for this episode of the Productivities Podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank our sponsors for sponsoring this episode. And if you want to support the show even further, go visit our sponsors and let them know that you heard about them on the Productivities Podcast. And if you're listening to the show and you're like, hey, I want to go meet you in person, Mike, show up in Vancouver on February 29th and join me for The Big Ready. Again, tickets are available at thebigready.com. I'll see you next time on this program. I'm Mike Vardy. I'm the host of the Productivity Podcast, and I'm reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.